Welcome to the VBAC Link podcast. We are a team of expert doulas trained in supporting VBAC, have had VBACs of our own, and work extensively with VBAC women and their providers. We are here to provide detailed VBAC and cesarean prevention stories and facts in a simple, consolidated format. When we were moms preparing to VBAC, it was stories and information like we will be sharing in this podcast that helped fine-tune our intuition and build confidence in our birth preparations. We hope this does the same for you. To hear more about us and to hear our individual VBAC stories, be sure to check out episodes one, two, and three. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to episode 18. We have our friend Lindsay Taylor on with us today, and she messaged us on Instagram, and we are so excited to hear her VBAC journey. Something interesting about her story is that her VBAC baby was due on October 9th of last year, 2017, and one of her other children was about to enter the Boston Children's Hospital uh, for a bone marrow transplant on scheduled on October 16th. So just a week after her due date, I can't imagine the stress that kind of carried in with her, but we are excited to hear her story today and more about her journey. Um, if you guys want to read more about her amazing adventure, check out her website because it's incredible. Her website is blendedfamilyadventure.com, and we will also leave those in the show notes. Yes, we are so excited. You guys, first of all, me and Megan have figured out how to work our schedules together, so you're going to hear from both of us at the same time a lot more often. But let me tell you a little bit about Lindsay. She messaged me on Instagram, and she said, hey, I want to share my feedback story with you guys. And I said, sure, tell me a little bit more about your story. And, guys, when she started sharing her story with me, I seriously freaked out. Like, I didn't even, she sent it to me in videos, and I didn't even finish watching the videos before I was on the phone with Megan just writing about her. You guys are going to absolutely love this story. Lindsay, we would love to turn the time over to you and have you share your story. Well, thank you very much. Um, That was quite the introduction. Yeah, I'm Lindsay. I'm 33. I'll be 34 this month. And I have six kids. Four of them I gave birth to personally. And I kind of have a unique birth story for each of them. Um, And yeah, I've been through a lot. This year has been quite the incredible journey. I think the best way for us to begin is probably for me to tell you a little bit about my first child. just really quickly, I had my first baby. Her name was Rachel when I was 16, um, way before MTV glorified teenage pregnancy. Just saying, um, it was kind of the time where pregnancy clothes were not pretty and people didn't quite understand how a teenager could be pregnant. Um, it, it was a very grounding experience, and um, her birth was sort of magical. I kind of slept through it. I got really lucky. Um, 
I woke up, it was time to push four pushes in about 10, 15 minutes, and she was out. And basically, we grew up together. So let's just fast forward on the remote up until um, I met Chris, who would become my husband in 2010. And I knew that I really wanted to have more children. And Rachel always wanted to have another sibling. Um, and we we definitely fell in love really fast. And we got married after just knowing each other for two months. Um, and nobody said it would last. Everybody said that we were crazy. Our families, we didn't even tell them. We got married in our kitchen. Um, and, you know, we, we both had been married once before, and we just didn't want a big to-do. We just wanted to be married, make a family. So that's exactly what we did. And I would say about four months later, we miscarried. And um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it was tough. I remember yeah. being real sad because I it, it had been so many years, you know. Like I was just so 100% set on starting this family. So um, it set us back. And I remember one of the doctors saying to us when looking at the ultrasound, I'm sorry, but this pregnancy is not going to stick. Uh, and I, I, I didn't quite understand that. To me, that left me feeling a little empty. Like, like, what do you mean stick? Stick where? Yeah. Stick how? Yeah. I didn't, yeah. So um, I actually ended up having a DNC, um, mm. which is, you know, the internal scraping of the uterus to remove the, the miscarriage. And it mm-hmm. was a blighted ovum. It was just an egg that just didn't develop. It, um, so there yeah. was no baby. But the doctor said, uh, get right back on the horse. And uh, don't let it get you down and try again. You're healthy. You're young. You have a beautiful daughter. Go ahead. Um, so we did. And four months later, once again, um, four months of trying, um, I was pregnant with Lucas. And it was such a painful pregnancy. I feel like everything in my body hurt. He was punching me and kicking me from the inside. So we had this joke about him being strong and finished. So my, my ex-husband, Chris, said, we're going to call him Thor. And I said, no, we're not going to call him Thor. We're just not. We're going to give him his own identity. And uh, he said, okay, then Anakin Skywalker. And I said, no. <laughs> so we, I came up with Lucas. And when I came up with the name Lucas, I didn't even think of George Lucas from Star Wars. So Chris was very happy. So he ended up having a Lucas Thor. And when Lucas... Um, when, when he was inside, I want to say about at four months gestation, I decided I wanted a doula. Um, mm. And we, we hired a doula. And she was incredible. And I was gung-ho. I was definitely going to have unmedicated, natural birth in a hospital setting here in Connecticut. Um, fast forward again, and I got to four centimeters dilation. And I was stuck. And I was in excruciating pain and I gave in to my need for pain medication and I did get an epidural and I let me tell you the 20 minutes that it took for that man to show up with his needle was the longest <laughs> 20 minutes <laughs> but Chris got to assist he caught Lucas coming out my midwife and doula were great it was a beautiful experience we were all crying I remember saying I could have 10 more babies Mm-hmm. And I just, I wanted to do it again and again. So that was really great. And then let's, um, Joanna was next um, in 2015. So two and a half, three, almost three years later, we had Joanna. And um, 
she was small. And if Lucas was four weeks early. Joanna was about three and a half weeks early. I had to induce. I had this odd thing called cholestasis, which is this oh, yeah. hor- horrible itching in um, liver. It, it affects your liver. Um, I think they check bile levels or something like that. It's um, the enzymes I, or something, right? Yeah. Like and I was yeah. I was borderline, and I was sitting there itching my face with a comb, and they were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just itchy, and I don't want to <laughs> scratch myself too hard. And they're like, okay, this baby needs to come out. So we went in for induction, and um, I had to be induced with Lucas, too. So I was no stranger to Pitocin, so I was I was like, all right, that's, that's cool. Um, so um, this doctor put a balloon, fall, like a folly balloon inside, and Joanna flipped in the middle of <laughs> induction. Whoa. And what? the nurse wouldn't the nurse, the nurse wouldn't say it. Like she, I said, she moved, didn't she? And the nurse was like, "Um, let's just get the doctor in and do an ultrasound." And I was like, "She moved. She moved, and I'm gonna have a C-section." And this whole night just changed. I was so scared. It was so awful. Um, just the fear, the fear of a C-section. I didn't want one, and I knew that having Lucas and having a C-section recovery would not be good because Lucas was a very attached, extended breastfed, co-sleeping baby boy. So um, what happened was I ended up calling my ex-husband at four in the morning and I said, please hurry, we're going to have a C-section. My midwife came in and she said, you weren't supposed to have a C-section. You were supposed to sneeze this baby out. And I was just like, oh gosh, here we are. There's no sneezing. Um, (laughs) Long story short, um, Joanna came out and she was a peach. She was absolutely beautiful. We stayed five days. She was fine. I was fine. Um, But a C-section recovery was horrible. It was six weeks for me. My incision opened. I bled a lot. Oh, Oh, my gosh. I lifted Lucas on, like, day four. He was, like, 40 pounds. I had no choice. Lucas is a very difficult child. Um, So recovery for me was really, really hard. Um, But once that was over... I was so afraid of my ex-husband going back to work. I was like, what am I going to do with two kids? Like, how do you, how do you mom two kids? Mm-hmm. I don't know how yep. to do that. That was really scary. And then I remember the day he went back to work, I was like, oh, this is fine. I just hold the baby and chase Lucas around like crazy. I've got this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> It ended up being fine. I was tandem nursing for a while. Um, And when Joanna was about five months old, she started sleeping through the night, which was amazing. Um, And then Lucas got sick. So my son Lucas has something called chronic granulomatous disease. And it's very rare. It's a genetic disorder. And we were told that Joanna could have it too. It's a fatal illness in in children that um, it's a white blood cell disorder. It basically means that you're white blood cells don't make peroxide, which is what you need to fight infection. So he was getting these swollen lymph nodes in his neck, um, like the size of like a baseball. And they told us at the hospital um, that if he were to continue with these infections, he would need a bone marrow transplant. Mm. So we like were biting our teeth for three months waiting to find out if Joanna had it too. And she does not. She's not even a carrier. Oh, good. Yeah, what what a relief. Rejoice. Um, And that was the day I also realized that we couldn't make any more babies together because what would 
be the point, there's a one in four chance that we could bring another sick child into the world. So it just wasn't worth it for us. Um, so there goes my 10 kids. Um, <laughs> so that sort of brings us to Lucas and, and his disease. And um, we were in and out of the hospital with him for four years straight. And um, I would say that that became a tough time for Chris and I and Chris has a neurological muscle disorder called neuromyotonia. Basically means that his muscles hurt all the time. It's, it's really awful. Um, so he really just was miserable. And I started to kind of just feel the passion fade. Maybe it was because we had a sick child. Maybe it was because we knew this sick child had crazy behaviors that just weren't normal. And I, I questioned autism at a very young age for Lucas. But after Joanna was born, things just shifted for me, and Chris and I were no longer intimate. We were just two best friends raising these two kids. I was going crazy all day as Lucas's behaviors grew and the medical stuff. I was in fear every night. What if, what if, what if he dies? When can we help him? When can he have a bone marrow transplant? There was no match in the registry. Um, it was just a really scary time, and then all of a sudden I got a phone call. And the phone call was from Boston Casting. And it was a casting agency in Boston who said, are you the mother of Lucas Kelly? Is he still blonde? Is he three years old, still blue eyes? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, he's really difficult. So whatever you guys got going on, you don't want him. I put his picture up when he was a baby. Like, he's super difficult now. Like, uh, good luck to you. And they said, no, 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 no. If, if, if he is uh, what we're looking for, we'll work with him and make it work. So I drove Lucas to Boston for an audition for the movie Patriot's Day. It's a Mark Wahlberg film about the Boston Marathon bombings. And Lucas surprised not only me, but surprised the owner of Boston Casting. Um, there were six other kids. No other kids could emote that they were scared and state their name and, um, you know, speak eloquently into the camera. And if you try to get Lucas to do anything, he won't. For some reason, in that, in, oh, a kid like that. that in this element, on that day, he nailed it. And then he said to her, can I do it again? And I felt like, this is awesome. awesome. Yeah. Like, he's walking out, and I hear the woman say, give him some candy. What do we got? Give him some candy. So she ends up giving him some Hershey Kisses. And he, he walks out, and as I was walking out, I heard her say, that's our kid. And that resonated with me for a moment because I grew up in acting. I always wanted um, to be an actress, and I always got doors slammed in my face and tons of rejection. I was the fat kid. It just wasn't I, – I was never right for any part. Screamed too loud, too fat, too this, too, too much, just too much. So I was really happy for him. And that experience was amazing. It opened up so much for us, so much joy where we didn't have any. And we did about 14 days of filming in Boston, staying in hotels. Lucas was like the king of the hot tub. They let him in it. Um, it was wonderful. And we didn't think about him as a sick kid in those moments. And Michelle Monaghan, the actress, and Rachel Brosnahan, um, the, another actress in the film, shared our um, story on their social media. And I kid you not, six weeks to eight weeks later, there was a full match in the bone marrow registry. <gasps> oh wow yeah so i believe that patriots day saved my kid's life i really yep. do i think everything happens for a reason um so that um that process 
uh, finding the match um, it, and then kind of planning everything out took over a year. And um, then you're waiting and you're wondering what's going to happen next. So let's fast forward um, through all that drama and get to um, the point where one day I decided um, I'm going to go to a concert. I'm going to put this – actually, I helped put the concert together. So I'm going to go and just have a day of fun. I need a day of me time. Mm-hmm. And when I went there, um, because the band, their name is Uncle Billy's Smokehouse. They're Worcester band. They're a modern classic rock. They are amazing. They opened for Vince Gill of um, Motley Crue, that, Vince Neil, sorry, that day. Um, and it was just so exciting. And this man, this man started walking towards us as we're all like kind of rejoicing um, after the show. And he's so cool. And he's got this great walk. And we connected eyes, and I just, oh, my gosh, I couldn't take my eyes off of him. It just, it was a chematic attraction. Um, and I, I asked a little bit about him. I found out his name was Mike. He played guitar. He had two kids. He raised them on his own. Um, and I asked my band friend, I said, hey, you have a hot guitar player friend. Why didn't you ever tell me about him? Um, so fast forward to... Me going, coming back home, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was an exciting thought, but, you know, nothing happened. I think we exchanged, like, Facebook and stuff like that. Um, and that was when I told Chris, I was like, you know what, I'm just really not feeling this marriage. I haven't been for a while. You know, things have been really dull with us, as you know. And I asked him for a divorce, and he was sad, but he understood. And... Um, I didn't really know if I would ever see that Mike guy again. And then it just so happened that I played an open mic night uh, a couple weeks later and he was there and we just hit it off and we just started talking. It was just um, texting and it was beautiful. And after a while I told Chris about him and Chris and I got divorced, by the way, 30 days after we filed because we got, um, we waived the waiting fee because there was nothing to contest. We didn't own anything together. We had no child support agreement, no visitation agreement. We were going to live together and just make it work. So um, the judge was like, oh, okay, all right, well, if it doesn't work, you can come back and reassess. Um, And I decided to pursue a relationship with Mike about two months later. And I just felt in my heart that was the right thing for me. So I did, and we ended up, talking a lot he's 17 years older than me and I said listen you know what I have a prolapsed uterus and I can have a hysterectomy and he kind of gave me this look and I'm like your kids are 19 and 20 I've got three kids one of them you know sick and uh it's kind of now or never for me so I mean look at me straight and tell me you don't want to have another baby and he just smiled he couldn't say it he wanted another one he always wanted to get remarried Um, And I I wanted a big family, too. So we created Harrison out of love. And um, it was a beautiful, beautiful pregnancy until he decided to hurt me every day, too. So Mm -hmm. let me just say that pregnancy stinks sometimes. Like, it just hurts. It's beautiful. I love when the baby moves and your belly moves and you feel the kicks. But I don't feel the... the, um, like the leg cramps or the, um, the rib kicks or mm-hmm. from side to side in bed when you're like 38 weeks pregnant and you just can't move. 
I don't miss any of that. But when I was pregnant, Lucas got even more sick. He began to lose blood in diapers. He was, like, pooping blood. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Lucas got in the tub one day, and he said, Mom, I need to go to the hospital. And here's my little, little guy, almost four, telling me I need to go to the hospital, and he hates hospitals. So I took him right away, and the hospital said, yes, he um, has a hemoglobin of seven. If it goes below seven, he needs oh. a blood transfusion. Yeah, so that's scary. It was awful. I thought he was dying. I thought he was turning gray. He was losing all of his energy. I was crying. Michael and Chris kept coming back and forth to the hospital, but it was me and Lucas and my pregnant belly, and I was a wreck. I, I just couldn't even imagine what was going to happen next. So very quickly, Boston Children's Hospital stepped in with their um, their bone marrow match, and they got this woman from Germany to um, sign on right away, and we basically saved Lucas with a blood transfusion and lots of steroids for just a couple more months, and they scheduled his bone marrow transplant for October 15th, and Harrison was due October 9th, and I was like, there's just no way I can have a C-section and then go to bone marrow transplant land, like, unrecovered. Yeah, yeah. It's impossible. I have to have a VBAC. There's no choice for me. My doctor said, I don't agree with this. I'm not sure that this is good for you, but let's take you to the high-risk doctor and let's see. And then my midwife said, you're a great candidate. You've had a vaginal delivery before. Um, only one C-section. You haven't had crazy problems other than gestational diabetes. And my high-risk doctor said, okay. He said, go get the consult and see if the doctor will take you. So I went to another hospital. This doctor believed in, you know, the fact that my childbearing capabilities were on point and we got <laughs> approved for a VBAC. And I was like, this is amazing because I did not think it would happen. So towards the end, um, about the end of September, I would say, I was starting to have early labor, which I always have early labor problems, but they don't do anything. Nothing really happens. Um, it was tough because I kept telling her, listen, I don't have much time left. And if this results in a C-section, it's bad for both you and me. And I was very, you know, sarcastic, but very honest with her. Um, and she ended up um, swiping my membrane just uh, two weeks before my due date. And it didn't do anything. And I was like, shucks. Like, I was really hoping it would put me into labor. Um, and then, you know, you do everything you can do. You drink raspberry leaf um, tea, you eat pineapple, you have sex with your husband, and you hope for the best. And um, sure enough, I did go into labor early on, uh, I would say, October 1st, like, like the last day of September, early October 1st. My labors are long. I was stuck again in um, in the hospital because they didn't know where to put me because I was, like, about three centimeters dilated, so I was finally starting to dilate, and then there was three hours with no change, and then I changed about to four centimeters, and that was it, and then there was no change after that whatsoever. So they were a little nervous because um, they knew that I would need Pitocin, so they were a little nervous that maybe that would cause me to need a C-section. Um, but they put me in a room for 12 hours where my husband and I kind of rested, waited. 
nothing really happened. And because nothing happened, but because I was starting to open, they broke my water. They did give me Pitocin. And then everything happened really, really fast. And I got really, really scared because I was like, this is, okay, this is too fast. So we went from resting for 12 hours to, boom, being thrown into a labor and delivery room. And then all of a sudden, um, I told them from the get-go I wanted an epidural. I was not a warrior. I found out last time that I'm an epidural girl 100%. So I said, where's the needle? Bring the guy in. Let's go. Let's do this because it's starting to get painful now. The, con- the contractions are real. I'm feeling them. It's really nice to feel that, but I don't want to feel it. So um, the guy came in, and he was the most beautiful man. He looked like Dr. Avery on Grey's Anatomy, like Jackson Avery, like just be- beautiful skin and blue eyes. And I'm looking at him, and I said, you're new at this, aren't you? <laughs> oh. And he said, you're my fourth. And I said, let's oh. make it a good one. So let's, let's do this. Um, and I could not control the fear. I have very high anxiety, but he got it in and it, and it only kind of helped a little. I was so shocked. It didn't numb everything for me. And I was really hoping that it would. Um, I've had a problem in the past with Lucas. I think I was only numb on one side. They rolled me and then it, 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 you know, filtered out and it was okay. This time I said to the doctor and the nurse in the room, I said, guys, I, I really feel like I have to poop. And they said, don't push. And I said, I'm not pushing. I, I understand <laughs> that this is baby, baby number four, but I'm just telling you that there's a severe amount of pressure down there and I'm not doing anything and this hurts really bad and the epidural's not really working. And I started to get worked up and my husband all of a sudden pulled my hair. <laughs> and I looked at him with these big eyes and I'm like, can you do that again? And I kid you not, if if this can be my one secret that I give to the world, ladies, if you like your hair pulled when you are having contractions, it is the best distraction because it almost makes you feel pleasure instead of pain. Um, So I just want to give my husband major props for that, like, intuitive moment. Um, Yes. (laughs) He did not get yelled at. He was praised for that. And I think it's wonderful. Um, But again, with the feeling of needing to push, I was so scared that things were like maybe rupturing, like maybe things just weren't working out so well. Um, And that's why everything was happening so fast. And that's why he was coming down. And I said, no, I feel I feel him coming. So a nurse quickly checked and she said, oh, that's the baby's head. And the the doctor was in in less than a second, less than a second. Wow. Um, It was so, so fast. So that epidural, I might have had it for five minutes, maybe five minutes. Um, and Harrison was kind of pushing himself out. He was like, I'm ready. Let's do this. I want to meet you. Uh, Welcome to the world, Harrison. Um, However, he was harder than I thought he was going to be to push out. You would think after three vaginal births, you know, like, well, two, this would be my third, but you think you'd just be able to just pop it out. And honestly, it was no joke. I was, he was my hardest, hardest, like, delivery. I pushed so, so hard. And I remember not being able to push harder. Mike held my legs. He helped me push. If it wasn't for him, I don't even think I would have been able to get that kid out. Um, When he did come out, it was about five to seven pushes and then some mini pulsating pushes. Took about 20 to 25 minutes for him to come out. So it wasn't too bad, but in the moment it felt really, really like he was stuck. Forever. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He was facing up. 
he was sunny side up, just like Lucas was. I guess that's how my boys like to come out. So you delivered him posterior? Yes, and Lucas was too. Wow. Uh, Yes, Harrison came out facing up, um, which is why it must have been hard for me to push because it's unnatural Mm -hmm. that way, of course. It was great. He was perfect. I I had a little tear in my bladder wall, actually, um, and she sewed that up, and that was it. He nursed right away. He looked around the whole entire room. He was so alert at just a week early. I was just so in awe, and he was nine pounds and three ounces. Wow. (laughs) They were telling us the whole time that he was average size, probably seven, maybe eight pounds. He was a big boy. Oh, <laughs> he, little chunky man. And he was, yeah, and I, I remember crying, and I looked at my doctor, and I knew she was leaving because that's what doctors do. They're in and out. Here's your baby. I'm done now. Um, she, she sat with me for a moment, and I cried, and I thanked her. And it was not just a thanks of, you know, delivering this baby, but it was a thank you for this back that was so necessary I couldn't have had it any other way like it just couldn't happen any other way like I tear up thinking about it it was it was just so powerful and everything lined up for me and it worked out fabulously and he was perfectly healthy and I was fine um and my recovery was really really great until about day five when I started to feel more pain and I started bleeding more again and I said what's going on like what is this we rushed back to the doctor she took us in right away she knew we were headed to Boston that weekend for Lucas yeah to go to the you know Boston Children's and um to wow it it was it was an eye-opener for me because I knew something was wrong I wanted to ignore it but I also knew I couldn't because I had to make sure I was healthy so that I could take care of all these kids, right? So yeah. Um, Harrison decided to leave a piece of his placenta behind. Mm, so yeah. I had I had to have another chain placenta. Yeah. And it was a big chunk. Um it it actually didn't come out with them. They didn't see it. it um after I awoke from my surgery, I went to the bathroom and it fell out of me. And I showed it to the nurse, and the nurse took it, um, and it was it was larger than a quarter, and you know, thicker than a quarter of a centimeter. It was it was a it was like a you know beef jerky. It was pretty interesting, but wow. um, I knew I knew that that was the piece. You know, that was the missing piece that that uh, was stuck. So sure enough, they tested it. It was placenta. Um, they did another ultrasound before I left. Everything looked like it was out, so they let me go home, and I finally was able to start recovering. So we um, we had to go the very next day to Boston for a kidney test for Lucas. It's called a GFR, um, where they, they test your kidneys to make sure you can handle chemo. And mm-hmm. I was in a wheelchair, and my ankles were swollen like tree trunks because they didn't want me to walk. And I said, listen, I have no time to recover from childbirth. I just had a VBAC. I'm fine. I was high on, <laughs> on, high on my VBAC. Um, so it was a lot of resting the next couple of days. But then that Sunday, we were in Boston and uh, back in Boston, and Lucas was admitted, and Harrison was able to come with us. And we stayed in Boston for 
about four months. The transplant took about four weeks. Wow. Um, wow. But we, but we had to stay close by for lots of appointments afterwards. And then we were in strict isolation for nine whole months before they gave Lucas the medical clearance that, hey, you're healthy and this worked. Wow. What? Yeah. What a journey. Holy cow. It's crazy. That's a long time. Yeah. So yeah. you're just your whole family was just uprooted. Yes, absolutely. Um, Michael Harrison, myself, and Lucas were the primary Boston kiddo, um, you know, the, the kiddo team. And Chris came in and out as much as he possibly could. But Joanna is his little princess, so he had to be mm-hmm. home for her as much as possible. And um, our teenager Rachel was helping out at home with Joanna, but she also had school. So Mike's daughter, Destiny, and Mike's son, Danny, also helped out with child care and chores and keeping the house afloat while we were gone. Um, So it was a total team family effort. And now, um, you know, we've all been living together for over a year, and it just works for us. I couldn't imagine having two different homes, paying two different mortgages. We created a village for Lucas, and there is no reason to – change it you know mm-hmm. like this yeah. yeah lucas is an autistic kid we finally got the diagnosis in may and he's got adhd and um a mood disorder and he's been through too much he's just been through more than yeah. any adult a lot even, you know yeah just too yeah. much um so we can't do the divorce shuffle i call it we're not going to bounce the kids from house to house and uh, we have hopes and dreams, and we'd like to grow. And Mike and I are becoming certified yoga instructors, and I am now a doula, a stillbirth oh, and bereavement yeah. doula, because that's as close as I can get to another baby. Mike has closed the shop. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's just us. I'm here with my husband, my ex-husband, and our combined six kids in one house and just kind of live in our dream, as we like to say, and... I can't wait to see what happens next. Wow. What a crazy journey. And yeah. like you said, each birth was so different. Like every so single birth is so different. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you have such awesome stories with each one. So I love yeah, it. Yeah. I, I forgot to mention that Lucas, um, he had the cord wrapped around his neck for two, twice. It was coiled. Nice. And he was, he was like gray when he came out, but he was fine. Oh, my gosh. Up on his own. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was, he scared us a little. But yeah, I mean, they were all so different. And I think that's what's going to make me a great doula, you know, is to be able to mm-hmm. offer a non judgmental, um, all kinds of birth, you know, type of experience. And man, I just listening to myself explain this whole story is really surreal. It's like, have I really been through that much? Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So, oh, my gosh. So a lot. much. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks for the therapy session. That was good to get that out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We love hearing your story. We love hearing your story. Seriously. We we love hearing all of these different stories and each one, you know, they're just they yeah. have all their little unique things about each one and it, you know, it just goes to show what women in general like do and can do in their life and, and can <laughs> i just say with powerful. a nine pound baby if anyone has <laughs> been listening to our podcast um so far if you don't know that you can birth a big baby vaginally then you need to listen again because yes. <laughs> i feel like all our listeners or all our uh, storytellers have babies that are 
that are pushing nine pounds or past nine pounds. Like it's kind yeah. of just a given. I think, well, not everybody, but man, like those big babies, they come out and you, and your babies are posterior. Like really, that is just such a, such a cool thing when so many women get told, Oh, my baby's too big. My pelvis is too small. And they have to have no. C-sections, but that's not true. No, no, you don't need a C-section. You need a doctor who believes in your abilities <laughs> to birth or a good midwife. Yes. Um, my my husband has a cousin from Canada who birthed a 13-pound baby vaginally, and she was fine. <gasps> Holy wow. smokes. Okay, now that girl, fine. that girl needs a trophy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, our bodies are made to push out big babies. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just what we do. We can do this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And yeah, I was going to kind of tell all of our listeners who may not have heard about our blog yet. Um, but we also have a blog that we write and we post weekly blogs. And we actually have a blog specific to that. And it's actually titled Get That Big Baby Out of Your Vagina. Yeah, I made <laughs> yes. that title up. Yes. Yeah, I did. And, oh, I love it. <laughs> so, That's so, and now awesome. there's five really, really good tips on how to avoid a cesarean, especially when you've got a big baby. And, um, Yeah, so for all of our listeners, if you are worried about the size of your baby, definitely go check out our blog. It's it's com slash blog, and it is Get That Big Baby Out of Your Vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, and you can do it after a C-section, too. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And you did it with big baby and posterior, which is like extra brownie points to you because you know a lot of the times that posterior like you said it's just an unnatural way for a baby to come down through that pelvis but yeah you did it get a little stuck sometimes yeah I did it Mm -hmm. twice you know I think the best thing you can try to do in all that you know hectic moment is try to relax and just imagine your baby coming out and coming down and focusing on that because that's I mean that's where they're going to go. They they know, too. You know, like Harrison was on his own way out. Some mm-hmm. babies do that, too. I've read some stories where moms don't push and the babies just come out. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Seriously, Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing your stories, all of them, today. And, You're so welcome. And just a reminder for our listeners, if you want to go over and read more about their story, again, her website is blended familyadventure.com and she has an Instagram as well and it's electric Lindsay land and Lindsay <laughs> Lindsay is L-I-N-Z-Y so electric Lindsay land and that's her Instagram so you'll have to go over and check her Instagram out and is that are you going to be sharing um, yoga stuff on that page as well? or? Yes, yes, I've already started. Um, I can't wait to get Michael um, and his pictures going on there. Because, you know, having a husband and wife instructor duo, like, this is just going to be magic. So, yes, lots of yoga, lots of breastfeeding, and lots of just this big blended family of ours. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. We cannot, we cannot wait to share this episode with everyone. Everyone out there, check out our blog, especially today. Um, we're going to have some quick facts about VBAC on the blog that you can just take to educate yourself and help you make a good decision. So make sure, again, Megan said it before, we've got lots of great stuff on there. 
utahvbacklink.com slash blog. We are always looking for more inspiring stories. To share your story or possibly be on one of our podcasts, post on social media with the hashtag YWeVBAC and tag at the VBAC link or contact us from our website. Be sure to rate us and share and leave your reviews. We are excited to hear what you think. For families local to Utah, be sure to check out our website, utahvbacklink.com, for more information on our VBAC childbirth classes and doula services. Thank you so much for listening. We are excited for you to begin your journey with us.